0: Good morning once again. Thank you all for joining us this morning, for being able to come and worship with us. Thank you for everybody tuned in online. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're doing that, I got a few announcements for you. Um, if you Our guest with us, thank you especially for coming and checking us out. We have a few things going on during the week we'd love to let you know about. One is our Tuesday night prayer night that we've been doing online on Zoom at 6.30. On Tuesdays, uh, Ty has been leading us through a time of prayer and scripture, finding different creative ways to engage with God. Uh, It's it's been a huge blessing to many people in our church. And so um, if you uh, want that link, we've been sending out that link Mondays and Tuesdays. If you don't get our emails, um, then you don't have the Zoom link and you're missing out on a lot of fun. Uh, and so there's a connect card in the seat back around in the seat back you're sitting in. Uh, you can fill out a connect card with your contact info, and we will get you on the email list, and then you can jump in on Tuesdays at 6:30. Uh, it's a time of prayer, and then also we've been putting out uh, videos on Friday, um, and to uh, also help us to just to get into the weekend praying, um, looking at Scripture. been uh, making videos, looking at the book of James, uh, to really help us focus and not just waste our days, and not just let the weekend fly by, but rather really enter into it, enter into it uh, intentionally. And so we have those uh, on the lookout. And then uh, Sunday afternoons, we've been putting out our unity and racial reconciliation prayer. Um, that's coming to a close here soon. Uh, and all of those are uh, on the website. And so you can go back and look at those if you haven't jumped in on that as well. Um, today after church, we got our college lunch. And so if you are a college student and you just happened to show up this morning uh, and didn't know we were feeding you, Lucky for you, we're going to feed you. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we're super excited. We always love to get to have the chance to um, bless and feed uh, our college students. And so any students, really, I don't care if you're in college or whatever, you can hang out after church. We'll um, be socially distanced in the cafe area uh, and have some time together to eat. And then uh, what else we got? Uh, RSVP for your weekly services. Make your mark 90 in 90. That is our 90 days of prayer uh, in which we are giving over the rest of 2020. We're being really intentional as a way to celebrate and remember this is our 90 year anniversary as a church. Uh, We're spending the end of 2020 in prayer. Every day uh, praying for our church, for our neighborhood of Roscoe Village, for our city of Chicago, for our nation and for our world. Um, Praying for hope and peace and unity and Just life and togetherness and all of those things. And so um, every day uh, we have reminder cards for you on the back table. Um, They look like this. Uh, And then we're also trying to put out different resources throughout the week as just reminders. Uh, I encourage you to set a reminder on your phone. I got like three on my phone uh, because I forget sometimes. I didn't label one of them and it just went off and I stared at my phone for like 10 minutes trying to figure out where I was supposed to be. And then I realized I was supposed to be praying. Um, So make sure you label those alarms. But we've been doing that throughout, and so we are two weeks into that. We're on day 14 here, Um, so you can jump in with that. Um, College launch. Make sure you RSVP for our weekly services, and then the other big announcement is community groups start this week. I am so excited! Yes, Amen. Community groups start this week. Community groups it takes all the things that we love and value and cherish about uh, our community, and we put them all together in a community group, and so uh, they're a place where we can build relationships, connect. Uh, and really just engage with one another. And so uh, they're going to launch this week. There have been some changes. If you were here last week and you were all psyched up and ready to get into a group, we made some changes to the schedule, so I want to walk you through it. Um, So we have groups going um, really all week. So Monday night group uh, for ladies only, 645. Um, All these groups are going to be here at the church. Monday, 645. Tuesdays, 7 o'clock here in person. Wednesdays, 730 online. Um, And so that's a change from last week. So the the online group is going to go on Wednesdays at 7.30. uh, And then Thursdays, we have a 7 o'clock group. And then Saturday mornings, we got an 8 a.m. group. So all of our groups are going to be reading through the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It's one of those Christian classics. Um, And so if you are signed up for a group or you're ready to sign up for a group today, uh, we have the books. We have them in the back table. So you can grab one. Please don't grab one if you're not going to jump into a group. Um, But if you are jumping into a group, we have them in the back. You can grab one this morning. If you forget to grab one, we'll have them ready for you when you come to group. To sign up, uh, you can email me, pastortimcf at gmail.com. You can throw a text to that number on the screen, or there is a sign-up sheet in the back uh, that you can sign up. Please sign up ahead of time so we know who's going to be where, again, for spacing, for books, for resources, all of those things. Um, but those groups are going to launch this week. We'd love for you to plug in and get connected, build some relationships, uh, and really help us. And we're studying this book, Knowing God, as a part of the theme of this year of step-by-step growth in our faith. And Knowing God is a book that's going to help us in doing that, kind of learn partially who God is and then also... Um, why? how we can interact with him based on who he is. So it's a really uh, fantastic read, and I'm excited to jump in. So uh, I think that's it for announcements. Do you have something to say, or do you just want to come bring your cuteness up here? That's talk about LB, not Daniel. So just
1: for a quick reminder, this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, we have a booklet that we've been writing in for the last couple <laughs> couple of years, and um, it's just words of encouragement for Tim. You can write a prayer that you have for him, a blessing for him, a word of encouragement, maybe share some scripture, just any way to uh, show your appreciation for everything that Tim does for us in this church. Um, And also we're collecting money for a gift for him. So if any of you want to contribute to that, you're more than welcome to. You can come see me or Amy. Amy's in the back today. Um, Good to see Amy back here with us. Um, So you can just come to either of us and we can take that from you. It's a... If you don't have cash, you don't do that, it's okay, we can do Venmo, but yeah, just we want to encourage him in that way.
0: Thank you. Um, Thank you very much, Daniel. Um, Okay, I think that's it for announcements. Uh, We can jump in. So like I said, we're going to be in 1 Peter 4 this morning as we've been walking through the letter of 1 Peter um, in our Solid Ground series, Finding Stability in Unstable Days. And so Peter's letter has had much to say throughout it about the practical side of being a Christian. What it means, what it looks like, how it affects relationships, how it affects our own self-identity, how it colors every decision that we make from the opening of our eyes in the morning to the closing them, closing of them at night. It's actually why we're in this book. As I said, we're in this step-by-step theme throughout the year so we started the year looking at and studying the the names of God, the character of God, and then we looked at the book of Daniel as kind of a, um, what does that look like to actually live out this close relationship with God? And now we're in 1 Peter as the kind of practical instruction of how do we do this? How do we do this together? How do we do this as individuals? And one of the reoccurring points that Peter has made throughout this letter that is something that we've already addressed a few times is the idea and the reality of suffering. Suffering is in large scale, very intentionally given in this book because the New Testament church at this time was being persecuted regularly, continuously. But the suffering we're talking about here is not like, why is there the problem of evil? That's like a whole other sermon series for a different time. What we're talking about is what what does it mean and what does it look like to suffer as a Christian and to suffer for being a Christian? The how and the why of suffering. How to suffer well, how to endure hardship, trials, persecution, rejection, ridicule, mocking, disdain, hatred. How to endure these things in a way that recognizes Christ's sovereignty, his reigning and ruling over our lives. And so we've, like I said, mentioned it. If you've been with us, we've mentioned this a couple of different times, looked at this a couple of different times. And that's what we're going to do this morning one more time in our passage. We're coming near to the end of the letter, and for the final time, he addresses this idea of suffering as a Christian. But today, Peter gives us a little more practical things to hold on to. Here's what it looks like to respond to suffering as a Christian. How do we respond to trials and suffering in a little more practical way? No doubt that in your Bibles, if you have headings in your Bibles, my guess is it says right above verse 12, suffering as a Christian. That's kind of the theme of this section as we wrap up chapter 4, and that's what our kind of main focus of this morning is going to be. And so before we do that, I want we're going to pray, um, and we're going to pray not only for our time together in God's Word, but we're going to pray as we continue this 90 days of prayer. We're going to pray for our church and for our neighborhood and for our city and our nation and world. So please uh, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather, to celebrate, to enjoy you, to be in your presence, to hear from you, to worship you, to just take a few minutes and find the rest that you promise us in you. So, Lord, we pray for CF. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the 90 years of faithfulness, for the generations of men and women on whose shoulders we stand this morning the people who have taken care of this building, the people who have taken care to continue to preach the gospel in this neighborhood as this neighborhood has changed over and over again. The gospel hasn't, and they've continued, and it has continued to be preached. Lord, we pray for our elders that you give wisdom and unity and discernment. We pray for our community groups and our community group leaders that you would um, build strong, deep relationships, that, that true, real fellowship would come from these groups, that there would be a care and a concern and love for one another as we learn together. Lord, we pray for our neighborhood, Orozco Village, you have kept us in this neighborhood for so long. um, And Lord, we love it. We we are thankful for it. Lord, we know we have many, many neighbors who do not know you, who are at times even indifferent to you. Lord, we pray for opportunities to serve them well. We pray for opportunities to be the light of the world that you have made us to be in this place so that they might know that there is a place of people who love the Lord and a place of safety and rest that they can come to when life gets hard. Lord, we pray for the schools and the the businesses, the the parents, the teachers that have all been affected by COVID-19. Lord, we pray for strength and endurance as they continue to press on. Lord, we pray for our city of Chicago, and we pray for um, the school system. We pray for our teachers. Lord, we pray for our government leaders. Lord, let there be unity. Lord, let there be a hope built in this city on the gospel. God, there is so much separation. There is so much pain and hurt and violence. And God, we know that the gospel can do things that nothing else can do. They can bring new life where there is death and hope, and peace, and reconciliation. And Lord, we pray those things for Chicago. We pray that Chicago would go through a transformation grounded and rooted in the gospel. Lord, we pray for our nation as we head closer and closer to the elections and more and more ads and more and more arguments are happening. Lord, we pray for peace. Lord, we pray for just a calm and a rest. We pray for wisdom. Lord, we pray for our our elected officials. Lord, we pray that the gospel might move through their offices, might move through their cabinet meetings, might move through their campaigns, that they would be changed by the power of the grace and hope and mercy that is found in Christ, and that would influence and reflect in every decision they make. Lord, we pray for our world, where there are broken relationships, where there's pain, where there's persecution, where there's hate and violence, God, this is your creation, and this is not the way you intended for it to go. And we know that there's a day coming where you will make all things new. And Lord, we pray for those who are pursuing that call right now, for the pastors and missionaries and just Christians who are around the world continuing to spread the gospel, continuing to be lights in very dark places. Lord, we pray for safety for them. We pray that the gospel would continue to do what it has been doing since you proclaimed it to Satan in Genesis, that it will continue to change lives and give hope and comfort, that it will continue to save people to, the, to you. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. All right, so we're at 1 Peter 4, uh, starting in verse 12. As I said, we're going to talk about suffering as a Christian, and it's mentioned multiple times throughout this letter where Peter is addressing the very real personal situation that the church was experiencing at that time. Persecution, arrests, harassment, violence towards Christians, this was commonplace for the church at the time. And Peter tells us shouldn't be shocked by that reality. Now for us, as we've kind of addressed this throughout this series, for us, most of us, this is not the case. For many, if not most of us, we've never felt a real attack for our faith. Yes, maybe some ridicule, a little bit of uh, joking, but never real, true persecution for our faith. But when you read the Bible... When you read the words of Jesus, when you read Peter, when you read Paul, when you read James, and really the history of God's people throughout the Bible, it makes it very clear that if you are truly following God, there will always be some form of pushback headed your way. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil because you against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For Jesus, it wasn't an if you would be persecuted. It was an assumed reality. And as I said, for many of us, that's never been the case. And for many of us, that probably won't be the case. But some form of persecution, some form of pushback, some form of hardship for our faith is coming for us. That's a a reality of what God has to say to us. To truly follow Christ, to take up more of him, is to let go of something of this world, and that's always going to cause conflict. To be a Christian is taking a different path than the one that is commonplace here on earth, and where this is not our home. And so the, one, the path that you are on will inevitably at some point lead you to trials, suffering, and hardship. And so even if that's not you right now and it hasn't been part of your story, that could mean it's on its way, that it's still coming. And so if it isn't you right now, but you know it's coming, the Bible is very clear. If you're going to follow Jesus, persecution, hardship is coming at some point. And so if you know that's true, Then it would be wise to use our time wisely, to do as it says in Psalm 119, to store up God's word in our hearts. To store up God's word for when those days, when those hard days arise. Right? We live in Chicago, the weather is changing. It's going to snow real soon. And when snowstorms are coming, what do we do for those of us who this is home? We prepare, right? You go get your salt and make sure you got the salt ready for the sidewalk, you make sure the snowblower is full of gas. You know where your shovel is. You know the storm is coming, and so you prepare ahead of time. Be prepared. If Jesus is very clear to say, following me is going to lead to persecution, is going to lead to hardship, is going to lead to fiery trials, then be prepared. Do so now by being in God's word, by investing yourself and diving into God's word as he speaks and calls to you. Develop a relationship with God now in prayer when it is now before the hardship comes, before the pain, before the suffering comes. Develop that relationship now. Be in community with others. Build that relationship so that you can walk through those things with others together. Be in community now. By the way, community groups launched this week. Get into one. Be prepared. Jesus spoke, and we mentioned the last few weeks of being ready for the return of Christ. That there's coming a day when Christ returns and we don't know when that day is coming. And so we are to live expectantly, live ready for him to return. But we don't know when it's coming. Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 that we are saved for good works which God has laid out ahead of time. Which means that if we are listening to the Holy Spirit, if we are in tune with the Holy Spirit, there are good works, good opportunities to glorify God that God has laid out for you ahead of time if you are paying attention to the Holy Spirit that you can walk into You just have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. You have to be ready to step into those moments. In the same idea, Peter here is saying, be ready for trials because they are coming. And he says, when they come, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when trials come our way. Instead, stand resolute in the reality that God is in control of all things all the time, which means there is always purpose to what we experience. There is always a reason For it, James says in James one, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here, James he says, it's not count it all joy when you suffer. Stop. No, it's count it all joy when you suffer because there is a purpose. Because that that suffering, that testing, produces something. When we realize that there is a point and purpose to enduring hardship, it reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ and can help us stay grounded in the call to endure and suffer well when we remember there's a purpose. It's when we lose sight of that reality that God is in control of all things. It's when we lose sight of the reality of God's sovereignty, that's when we start to wander away, when we start to question and blame him or just ignore him. It's when we lose sight of that and when we lose sight of who we are in Christ, when we start to forget that you are forgiven, that you are adopted fully into the family of God, that you are loved and cherished and blessed, that you are a co-heir with Christ, and these things matter. And when we start to lose sight of those things, we wander into danger. We allow the suffering to overwhelm us and cause us to, again, ignore or blame God. Peter says, don't be surprised that the trials come, but instead... Rejoice, he says in verse 13. Instead, rejoice insofar as you you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice because you shared in Christ's suffering. Christ suffered for righteousness' sake, so you too, when you suffer for the gospel, when you suffer for your faith, suffer for the same reason, for the sake of the gospel to move forward. Peter says rejoice, and literally he says it, it's it's keep on rejoicing. It's present and active, but it moves on into the future. It's something that happens now and has continuing, lasting effects. It's something that continues. He says, keep doing it. Keep rejoicing. Keep holding on to joy. Keep finding your joy in the reality of God's goodness and faithfulness, that he is working all things out for your good and his glory. Do you know, do you have a person in your life who's just full of joy? Can you think of somebody? Not like happy and glee, like the person that's just had too much coffee. Not like like just cheerful, but just truly found joy. Even in the midst of the hardness, no matter what life throws at them, there is joy. There's this comfort that they have in the reality of their relationship with God. Do you know anybody like that? That's a person you want to be around, isn't it? There was a woman who was at at the church I grew up in who... In her later years, was diagnosed with cancer and um, actually worked for her for a few years as as some of the treatments started to take effects on her. And um, she, through tumors and tests and going through all the medications and all the different things, it wore her out physically, but never wore her out spiritually. You could ask her at any point, at her lowest, weakest point, how was she, and she was nothing but blessed and thankful for another day. She said, If I go home tomorrow, I go home tonight, I go home, but I get to be home, but I'm going to enjoy this now. I'm going to enjoy this time here. She was not, she was the very embodiment of never letting her present situation steal her joy. She was comforted, she knew the reality that Christ was in control. And she would never let anything affect Will Notch because she's still with us. She just continues to prayerfully blow past every time they give her a diagnosis and tell her she's got six months left. She's like five years in. She continues to. Her joy has never been stolen from her. Those are the kind of people you want to be around, right? Those are the kind of people that just fill you up. And you want, like that joy rubs off on you and you just feel empowered by that. So what would it be like if you were that for somebody else? See, our reaction to suffering is to remember there is a purpose. We are being strengthened through it. It is to refine our faith, to strengthen our faith, but also realize that you are given the chance in some way when you suffer hardship, when you suffer persecution, when you suffer, as Peter says, fiery trials. We are suffering and giving in some small way the chance to suffer as Christ suffered. God has deemed you worthy to walk the road that Christ did. Though it's hard, it's something to rejoice in. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's bad. I got here um, after I had been at CF for a couple of months. I remember there was a week where I got to the end of the week. I had meetings throughout the whole week with members of the church. And I got to Friday and was just exhausted emotionally. I was overwhelmed I didn't know what to do. I felt completely out of my comfort zone, completely out of my depth of knowledge and, and didn't know how to respond because every one of those like, five or six meetings I had was just hard. It was people sharing with me the, the burdens and the trials and the things they were suffering with. And I got to the end of the week and was just fried and I didn't know what to do with myself. And then I realized that I was thinking about these things. But the reason I felt that way and the reason I had the week that I did was because the people at CF were starting to trust me as their pastor. That people were welcoming me into their messy, hard lives. That people were welcoming and not just seeing me as the guy that comes up and preaches at them once a week, but really welcoming, welcoming me in as their pastor to shepherd and walk with them in hardness. And when I realized that, when I, when I understood that, I had joy didn't take away the exhaustion. I was still tired, still kind of overwhelmed. But it was this beautiful gift that I had received. See, just because something is bad doesn't mean that it's, just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's bad. Hard days happen. But just because a season or a day or an event is 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 hard doesn't mean that it's bad. But rather, In those times, we can trust and know that God is moving in and through those trials and storms. And that's where we can find joy. We can rejoice knowing that God is at work in us here and now, shaping and cultivating and drawing us closer and closer to himself. The church word for that is sanctification, being made more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. And so when we remember that, when we realize that as we walk through hard seasons, it's God doing a work in us that should remind us that for whatever rejoicing, whatever joy we do find here, whatever joy we can cling to here, whatever rejoicing we can cling to here and experience here and now, it pales in comparison to that day when we go stand before Jesus himself in his full radiant glory. Peter says rejoice here and now because there's going to be a day when you are going to rejoice in a way that you can't even imagine. There will be a day coming of dancing and singing and celebrating and enjoyment and rest and peace and satisfaction, all of which birthed from the reality that we are finally in the presence of our God with nothing and no one to fear. All of every need or desire met in him. That day is coming. Rejoice now and when you do, let that remind you of the rejoicing that awaits for you on that day of glory. And as we find ourselves rejoicing, we can glorify God in that, he says in verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So Peter has said, don't be surprised that trials come, but instead we should rejoice. That's what suffering as a Christian looks like. You are to rejoice and also don't be surprised that trials come, but instead rejoice and glorify God. If you suffer as a Christian, not just that you endure it in a Christian way, which is also important, but we're talking about you suffer because you are a Christian. You, as a follower of Christ, suffer. And even that, this term Christian, is something that didn't even show up until Acts 11. It's the first time somebody's called a Christian. And clearly, by the time Peter uses it here, it's well known. But any other time you see it in the Bible, the word Christian is usually has a negative connotation to it. It's outsiders calling them those Christ followers, those Jesus, that Jesus party. But for those who are actually living it out, it was a, it was a mark of endearment. It was, it was something to be proud of. If you suffer on account of being thrown in with those Jesus followers, being one of those ones who looks like, sounds like, acts like, him or one of his disciples glorify God that you lived in such a way to be identified with Christ. That's not something to be ashamed of. Your identity as a Christian is not something to be ashamed of. But somewhere along the way, our faith became this thing we're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table or the barber shop or really anywhere. And that's kind of shocking considering that we don't experience the kind of suffering or persecution that our brothers and sisters have been suffering for generations around the world. Here in America, we don't have that, really. But when we meet people, when we meet people for the first time and we get to know people, we don't tend to share our faith. That's not part of the get-to-know-you steps. Usually it's where you're from, where do you live, hey, have you watched this show that I'm watching, do you what's your sports team that you're a fan of, a shared hobby. You find these kind of common interests All of those things tend to show up in the conversation before Christian. And we can talk about any number of reasons why that is, but I think a lot of them boil down and find their grounding in a fear of rejection or ridicule or mocking. Because the world has made it very clear that to say that if you are a professing Christian, then you don't have anything, you couldn't possibly add anything of any intellect or any type of uh, inspirational way to the conversation. And so we bite our tongues. And we too often hold back what we claim is the most important part of ourselves because we want, to be, we want people to like us. And you contrast that with what Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek." Paul says, I am not ashamed. I'll tell everyone and anyone about the gospel, even if it leads to my death. Spoiler, it does. The disciples, the early church, generations of believers have been given the option over and over again of death or walk away from your faith. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands have chosen, I'm just going to take death and go meet Jesus. And for most of us here, we get given the option of be ridiculed and mocked a little bit or stay silent. And we choose silence way too often. Peter says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Rather, celebrate it and worship God by and how you live into that term, Christian. Embrace it. Have no shame in it. And remember who's writing this. It's Peter. If anyone knows about feeling shame in relation to their rejection of their relationship with Christ, it's Peter. He's the one who stood around a fire while his Savior was being put on trial and he swore up and down he didn't know Jesus. He's the one when the young servant girl comes and calls him out on his claims, he says, I don't even understand the question you're asking me, little girl. I don't even understand the words you're saying. I don't know this man of who you speak. When Peter and himself, in the way he spoke, revealed his Galilean roots. And after he denies Jesus and the rooster crows, Peter goes running out of the gates and he is weeping, alone and ashamed and broken for what he had done. Which is why when Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday, and the two Marys go to the tomb, and they're confronted by the reality of the resurrection. The angel tells them in Mark sixteen seven, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel tells them, Go tell the disciples Jesus is alive and he's in Galilee. And when you tell them, make sure you tell Peter, because I know what he's thinking. I know how broken he is and how much shame he is carrying. Tell Peter that shame is unnecessary and there's work to be done. It's why on that beach, Jesus has this public one-on-one with Peter to restore him and remind him there is always forgiveness and grace to be found in Christ. Peter knew shame. He understood what it felt like. And he's saying, look, it's unnecessary. It is a burden you don't need to carry. It is not needed, wanted, or useful in what you are trying to do to be a light of the world. Let it go. He says, don't be ashamed, but rejoice. Glorify God because you are blessed. If you are so clearly living in the will of God, so in step with Christ that your faith is so evident, and because of it, you are insulted, that's a byproduct, a clear manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you. The Spirit and glory of God resting on you. And that that blessing is here and now. A lot of times in the Bible we talk about blessings from God, and they're delayed. This is a blessing here and now. You are blessed to have that reality. The Spirit of God in and through you. We know that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends on Pentecost, right? And Christians, when you are saved, when you have put your faith in Christ, you get all complete, full access to the Holy Spirit in and through you. That wasn't always the case for followers of God. If you look in the Old Testament, it's rare for a specific person to have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. You had God manifest his glory for for public, for large groups, right? In In the tabernacle, in the wilderness, in the temple, in the presence of Moses. The prophet Samuel had it on him. But it's few and far between. It's not like what it is for us today. In Christ, it's a great privilege that God has given us. That we have the Holy Spirit and that we can walk into the will of God and live in such a way that is so evident that people see us and identify us with Christ by the way we live. That's a blessing. Now clearly, God can accomplish much without, having the, without us having the Spirit. He did it throughout the Old Testament for thousands of years. But he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower, guide, encourage, challenge, and at times rebuke us. And it's a great gift and blessing that, we should, that should cause us to celebrate and rejoice. Worship God. Celebrate and worship with the choices that you make. With the way that you carry out your relationships. With the way that you work with the way that you do school, with the way that you date, with the way that you are a spouse, the way you are a neighbor, a citizen, all of these things find their clear foundation in your faith as a Christian. You live out as a Christian first and then into all of these different relationships. And as you live into these roles as a Christian, choosing to glorify God in every decision, interaction that you have, that is worship. Worship is not just the hour to hour and 15 minutes we do here on Sundays. Worship is the way that you live out your life, live out this faith that you claim is so important to you. Worship God as you endure and how you endure through the hardships and trials you are given. Knowing that God is in control and is producing something through your suffering for your good and for his glory. Pastor David Guzik says, we don't glorify God for suffering, but we do glorify him in suffering. And we glorify him for what he will accomplish in us and through us with the suffering. Peter says, don't be surprised that trials are going to come. But instead rejoice and glorify God and trust him who is the faithful creator. Skip down to verse 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is Peter's basically final words on suffering, pretty much summing up all he has had to say throughout the letter on it. Let those who suffer according to God's will, so enduring and enduring well, entrust their souls. Entrust is a banking term. It's to deposit for safekeeping. It's to give your money to somebody and let them hold on to it, and you trust that they're not going to steal any from you. This was one of the, an action of the purest form of trust you could show at the time. Christians are giving our souls to God for His protection, trusting He is going to, he is going to validate our trust in Him. This word can also be translated "commit." As in, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus says on the cross. Jesus gives his spirit to the Father in his weakness. It's trusting that even though he was literally seconds from death, Jesus knew vindication and purpose were waiting for him in his death. So if you are suffering according to the will of God, you can trust your soul to the care and protection of the faithful creator. Man, that's a good term for God. Faithful creator. He is the creator, the one who spoke all of existence into existence. The one who placed each star in the sky, every grain of sand on the shore, every planet in the solar system, every hair on your head. He did that with exact precision, control, power, and authority. The wind blows at his command. The earth turns at the speed he appointed. He made all of everything and he sustains it continuously. This is the God we serve. This is the God we get to call Father. This is the God who calls us his children, who knows all of who we are and still loves us so much he would send his son to die for us. And we know he is faithful, trustworthy, and reliable and dependable. Yes, he has the awesome power and control that in the hands of anyone other than him would be used for evil. But because of who he is, he is always at work for our good and his glory. He is not the distant creator who made everything and then said, good luck, everybody, hope you figure it out. And he's not the faithful friend who isn't really helpful in times of trouble. No, he is the faithful creator whom we can trust and depend on in his power and sovereignty. Which means if he is allowing his beloved children to suffer while doing good, that means we can trust he knows what he is doing. He is a plan and purpose for each one of us and for every step and every season we experience and have to endure. But again, note in the beginning of verse 19, it's for those who suffer according to God's will, because Peter makes the distinction between their suffering that happens that is not according to the will of God, in that it's the result of our own rebellion and sin we see in verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, or meddler, Really, should Peter have to tell the church this? Right? I mean, in the, context, in the context of who he's writing to and what he has already addressed and what he has already said, doesn't this verse kind of stick out? Right? Like if I like was going to go away for a year and in the midst of that, I wrote a letter to CF to be read out loud in front of the church. And it was encouragements about how to pursue holiness and love well and pursue Christ. And then also in the middle of that letter, I slipped in, hey, don't kill anyone hey, don't steal. Generally, don't do evil and don't meddle. Like, and then just continued on talking about you know, church stuff. Like That would stick out. So Peter, what are you doing here? Well, Peter's writing to a lot of Gentile converts, a lot of new Christians who are still learning what it means to live as a Christian and probably had some of these things that are in this list on their resume of their past life. And Peter wants to remind them, hey, don't go back to that that person you were, that's dead and gone. Let, let go of that. That stuff can just stay buried. The things listed in verse fifteen all deserve consequences. See, just because you are a Christian though, doesn't mean you escape consequences for your actions. If you murder someone, you should have to endure consequences for that. If you're a thief or an evildoer, which is like just a gen, like a just a general wicked conduct kind of term, and a meddler is basically a busybody getting involved in other people's lives and businesses without an invite and with ulterior motives. If you're going to choose your way, if you're going to choose your way over God's way, you're going to go counter to what God's will is. There's going to be consequences you will have to endure. It doesn't mean there isn't forgiveness and there isn't grace because there is. There is always a future for you in Christ. You can't out-sin the cross of Christ. But you still have to deal with the situation and deal with the consequences of your actions. And that kind of suffering is not the same as suffering in the will of God for righteousness' sake, right? There's a difference between, like, you pull up to a six-way intersection and you're supposed to go left, and instead of taking the hard left, you take the soft left, and because of that, you get lost, right? Versus you pull up to the intersection and you're supposed to go left and you say, I'm not going to be controlled by no GPS robot lady, I'm going right, and you just intentionally say, I'm going the other way, and you get lost because of that. These things are different. There's a difference between I'm suffering, I'm in hardship, I'm dealing with persecution, I'm dealing with something that is refining my faith, that is growing my faith, versus I'm intentionally acting out against the will of God, and now I am suffering because of it. These things are different. Christians are not excluded from dealing with suffering in this life, but the reason why you suffer matters. The why and the how of your suffering matters. And that's Peter's basic argument in verses 17 and 18. He says, basically, if God allows his people to go through fiery trials here on earth, and the righteous, that's Christians, are scarcely saved, we'll talk about that phrase in a second, what's going to happen to the enemies of God when they meet their final judgment? We know that through and under the control of God, we experience and endure trials of various kinds for a purpose with a point in place to strengthen our faith. But as Peter says, it may not come easily. Scarcely saved is saved with difficulty. He's quoting Proverbs 11. It's not that you were barely saved, like what Christ did barely got you saved. No, it's rather Christ suffered greatly and he experienced great difficulty, as well as your own journey of sanctification is marked with difficulty. And if that's true, if we are as loved and cared for by God as Scripture says that we are, and we still have to endure hardship, what's that mean for the ungodly and for the sinner, for those who disobey the gospel of God? Those who hear the truth of the gospel and choose not to turn and believe, I beg you, don't be that person this morning. I pray that this morning you would come to know Christ in all of his glory and all of his forgiveness and grace and mercy, that you would know how loved you are, that you are so loved by God that he would send his son Jesus to die for you, that he would come to earth to live a perfect, sinless, spotless life. And in doing so, go to the cross and take on the sin of the world, every sin that you have ever done, every sin you have done, every sin you're going to do, paid for by Christ at the cross. He took on the suffering and pain that we deserve for our sin, and he paid that penalty so that one day we can stand before God and say, I stand here in the blood of Jesus. I stand here covered in his righteousness, not my own. Lord, I pray that this morning whoever hears this, that they would come to know you, that they would turn and repent, walk in the opposite direction, let go of that old life and believe in the gospel in the good news of salvation. And as we do that, though, and whether or not you've done that here this morning or you've done that you've been walking with Christ for a long time, the gospel and being a Christian is not like a magic key that makes everything work out all the time. It is not just sunshine, rainbows, and happiness. If anything, it's going to make things harder. Right? We want to be Christians. We want to be identified with Christ. Okay, he's broke, homeless, and ends up on a cross. Right? That's, that's who we're emulating. That's who we're pursuing. So this idea that being a Christian somehow is going to make you happy, healthy, wealthy, that's nonsense. That's not scripture. It's going to sometimes make things harder for you, but know that you are not alone. Know that there is a purpose, and know there is a God who is in control of all things all the time. Yes, hardship, fiery trials are part of the reality of this existence. But how you endure and why you endure, these things matter. And so if you're not in it right now, use this time to strengthen your faith, to store up truth, to to gain a close, intimate, deeply connected relationship with Christ through prayer so that when the storms hit, you remember who you are in Christ and you will not be shaken or moved, but instead rejoice glorify and trust in the awesome, faithful creator. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for this opportunity to gather, to study your word, to hear from you, to enjoy your presence. God, we know that we live in a fallen, broken world and we know that with that, Suffering comes, persecution comes, hardship comes. And God, sometimes it feels overwhelming. It's really easy to identify with Peter when he was walking on that water and he saw the wind and the waves and he felt overwhelmed. And he lost sight of what was going on, lost sight of what he was doing. God, it feels so easy to be overwhelmed by this world. Lord, remind us. Lord, keep us focused on you. Keep us humble. Lord, continually bring us back and remind us that you are in control of all things all the time, that you know what is best, that you are always at work, that you are doing great things so that we would be strengthened, so that you would be glorified, so that we could be these lights that you have made us to be. And God, we know it's hard. We know sometimes it's hard and it hurts. It hurts. God, give us the strength to endure. Help us to daily rediscover the gospel. Be re-reminded of the grace and mercy and forgiveness we find at the cross. And let that motivate us. Let that spur us on to pursuing you in how we live. God, if we're, for those who are not in the midst of trials and suffering right now, Lord, I pray that this is a time of strengthening. This is a time of building up. This is a time of training and getting ready and getting so focused and rooted and grounded in you so that when those storms come, people might be able to withstand them focused and holy in you. And Lord, for those who are in the midst of suffering, who are in the midst of pain, who are pursuing the will of God, but find every door getting slammed in their face Lord, I pray that you would remind them of your grace, remind them of your mercy, remind them that what they are doing in pursuing you in, in suffering for the name of Christ is walking in some small way, walking the same steps that our Savior walked, suffering for righteousness' sake. Lord, it doesn't make sense, but help us when we find those moments to glorify, to worship, to celebrate, to rejoice. And most important, trust that you are in control of all things. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Amen.